This is the Olive Wellness Podcast, brought to you by the Olive Wellness Institute. Welcome to this episode of Olive Wellness Podcast. I'm Sarah Gray. In 2018, accredited practicing dietitian, Dr. Hannah Mayer, completed her PhD on the effect of a Mediterranean diet on inflammation and adiposity in patients with coronary heart disease. The presentation of her PhD work resulted in her receiving the 2018 Dietitians Association of Australia New Researcher Award. Today, Hannah leads a project focused on implementing the Mediterranean diet into routine care for people with chronic disease at the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane. Chris Ashmore asks Hannah to explain a little about her research experience into the Mediterranean diet in Australia. From 2015 to 2018, I completed my PhD at La Trobe University and there our research group was leading a range of studies looking at the effects of following a Mediterranean or med diet, as we call it, in different groups of people with chronic disease. So the trial that I was involved in under the supervision of Professor Catherine Itziopoulos, that was the OSMED trial, and that was specifically for people who had coronary heart disease, and essentially those were people who had previously had a heart attack. So what we did is we had roughly 35 people that were guided to follow a med diet, and then another group of about 35 people who were guided to follow a low-fat, more general healthy eating diet, and this was for a six-month period. So we really wanted to know how the diets impacted outcomes like the quality of their diet, their body composition, and markers in the blood like inflammation. At the time, I also had colleagues leading projects like this in people with depression and people with fatty liver disease, and the studies we were doing were quite novel as they were some of the first to be done in an Australian setting. So another study that I can talk about that's a bit more specific around use of extra virgin olive oil or EVU, which we know is the key ingredient of a Mediterranean diet, and that study is called the Oliboz trial. So I've been involved in that since 2017, and this is a study that is specifically looking at the effects of EVU with a high biophenol content versus an olive oil that has a low biophenol content on risk markers related to heart disease. And this study is in generally healthy Australians. And I guess I should just say that biophenols are relating to bioactive compounds that are found in plant foods that can have antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects, and they're higher in your extra virgin olive oils. This study is going to help us to better understand the impact of consuming regular EVU in an Australian population where it's not necessarily part of our traditional cuisine. So we're excited about finding that out and we are looking at, in particular, a novel outcome marker and that is to see whether the EVU improves functioning of HDL, which is the good cholesterol in your blood. You've worked a lot with applying the Mediterranean diet to an Australian population. What are some of your key findings and any particular challenges or things that worked well? Yes. In the OSMED trial in people with heart disease, I found that the participants who followed the MED diet significantly improved the quality of their diet. So they consumed a higher amount of healthy nutrients and healthy foods And this was compared to the low-fat or other diet groups who actually didn't really change their diet much. And potentially, they actually found a low-fat diet harder to follow 
or they didn't see the advice as different to what they already knew or were doing, whereas the Mediterranean diet was something different and tended to be something a little bit more exciting. The Med Diet group also had a significant improvement in a score that is called the Dietary Inflammatory Index. So basically, the changes that they made in their eating habits actually markedly improved the potential of their diet to be anti-inflammatory. And the other group, however, did actually not change in this score at all. And what drove these differences in that score was that the med diet group increased their intake of foods high in antioxidants and those biophenols like the evu, nuts, legumes, things like onion and tomatoes, and also they reduced their red meat intake. We also found that the participants following a med diet reduced their waist circumference more as well. And I know you said, what do you think worked well? For the Mediterranean diet, group. The dietary recommendations really were focused on what to include in the diet and it's all about key food recommendations. And this differs to some of your more usual diet approaches, which are often focused on things like what to exclude or restrict, like specific nutrients, calories, or unhealthy foods. And I think the participants found that this was quite a refreshing approach and it was a bit more motivating. In terms of challenges, it was really interesting to see that a lot of the participants had been recommended to reduce their intake of fat for many years. And many of them initially found it difficult to start having more liberal amounts of healthy fats like ibu and nuts that are in the med diet. And I really found myself working with participants to actually specifically overcome that sort of fear of fat. And many participants also started the study with a high intake of meat, especially red meat. And we know that that's something that's really common in an Australian setting. And it was quite a big shift for them to try and cut this back. So in a Mediterranean diet, traditionally, you're aiming to have only about one serve of red meat in a week and ideally replacing that with things like legumes. So most of the participants indicated that over time they did adapt to a lower intake of meat and they felt better for it. And some of them surprised themselves at how easy that became, but definitely initially it was a challenge. I guess the other thing that comes to mind in terms of some of the challenges is just overall we know a Mediterranean diet is generally sustainable in the long term, but for participants in an Australian setting where it can be quite different to their usual intake, there are key parts of the diet that are a little bit harder to follow when you no longer have the support of, say, a dietary intervention. And we did find that some of the participants after we did the study reduced their intake of legumes and lentils. And I think that this just shows that we really ideally need to have longer-term follow-up and longer-term interventions with dietitians. These days, we're quite a diverse community with different cultural backgrounds, with different cuisine our migrant families brought with them. Do you think the Mediterranean diet can be applied to a multicultural Australian population? This is a really great question because it is a really important consideration in an Australian population, especially given that a lot of research on the Mediterranean diet has actually come from countries like Greece and Spain, where the med diet is their traditional cuisine. So interestingly, research I am currently doing has found that even many clinicians, including dietitians, 
see cultural diversity as a barrier to recommending the med diet pattern routinely to clients in Australia. But I do think the answer is yes, it can. But careful consideration must be made as to how the key principles of a med diet can be translated across different cultural cuisines. It's about finding the overlap across cuisines and also considering where adaptations might need to be made if core principles of the med diet, which are part of the reason it has health benefits, are needing to be included. So I can give you a bit of an example of what I mean. I recently contributed to a publication that described the med diet model that we used in our Australian trials. And a specific example we gave was how, say, a traditional Greek dish that's made from legumes, herbs and spices, tomato and ibu, that could be replicated, say, to a lentil-based dal dish in an Indian cuisine. It could be a tofu dish for Chinese cuisine, or it could be homemade baked beans in Western cuisine. But an adaptation that is required through those different dishes would be that part or all of the fat used, which could be something like ghee or sesame oil, should be replaced with ibu. Mm -hmm. Well, culinary nutrition is an area of interest at the moment. How were you able to get study participants to practically apply some of the recommendations in the interventions you undertook? This is also a really relevant question, and I've recently found in my research that lack of practical strategies and cooking skills can be barriers for a med diet being followed or even recommended by clinicians. So, for example, in the OSMED trial in heart disease patients, we provided the participants with a Mediterranean diet cookbook, and this had easy-to-read front matter about what a med diet is, the research to support it and its principles, but then it had a range of different traditional med diet recipes that were snacks, meals, sauces, dressings. We also provided participants with meal plans to demonstrate how they could put that together in a week, but we didn't intend for participants to follow that exactly. It was more about giving them an exemplar that they could then try and adapt elements of their diet to. I acknowledge that many people are very busy and time poor and some people may have limited cooking skills. So another useful resource we provided to participants across our different trials has been a med diet inspired cook-free meals resource. So basically this listed a range of easy food combination suggestions. So this could be something like pick one of these salad or vegetable options put it with one of these whole grain cereals, add one of these protein sources and add a condiment. To give you an example of what that could look like, a combination of options that they could have picked could be baby spinach and rocket with some whole grain bread plus a tin of tuna and putting some lemon juice and ibu with that. And I do know that some other studies in Australia have also used things like cooking classes, and that has worked well for participants. I guess it's just challenging, unfortunately, to resource that in a usual care setting. I myself, I don't come from Greece or Italy. I didn't grow up specifically with that sort of cuisine, but I guess I have found it quite easy to adapt my own way of eating and cooking to a more Mediterranean style with simple recipes and snacks. And it's not expensive because it involves more home cooking and use of things like canned legumes, which are a lot cheaper than buying a piece of steak. 
<laughs> exactly, that's right. Now, how was EVU important overall to this and the Mediterranean diet intervention? As I said earlier with my example of translating a Greek dish to other cultural cuisines, a core ingredient to a med diet that does differ to other traditional cultural eating habits or patterns is the daily and liberal use of EVU. And in our med diet trials, the EVU component was really important as a key flavor base as it does actually improve the taste of dishes and especially it can improve intake of things like salads and vegetables as when they're cooked or dressed with EVU, they have more flavour. And we also found that the use of more EVU in the diet has helped improve satiety. So the higher fat content in dishes with EVU can lower the glycemic index of the meal and slow down the digestion process and that can actually leave you feeling fuller for longer. And another thing in the OSVED trial, I really found that it was not only about working with participants to increase their intake of EVU, especially as a replacement for other cooking oils or for margarines or butters. It was also about guiding them on pipes of olive oil itself. So ideally, people should be sourcing an Australian-made certified extra virgin olive oil and not using, say, the light varieties that many people misunderstand to have less calories when really they actually just have a lighter flavor and less antioxidants. Those are the sorts of important things to educate patients on. And another one is about the myth that you cannot cook with Ibu because you certainly can. And that's actually something that I'm often still educating health professionals, including other dietitians, about. Mm. And what volume of EVU do you recommend? Based on traditional consumption of EVU in Mediterranean countries, the ideal amount recommended is around three or more tablespoons per day. So that's about 60 mils of olive oil per day. And that was also what was recommended in a really large study in Spain called the PREDIMED study, which is the largest study of the med diet that's been published to date. And I know this sounds like a lot, but if it is the sole fat that you're using for cooking and food preparation, it isn't actually such a huge amount. In the OSMED trial, some participants were able to regularly consume that higher amount. However, for others, it really was quite challenging as their baseline level was really low or nil. So on average, the participants I had were actually only having one teaspoon of olive oil per day before they started the study. And then by the end of the study, the med diet participants were having close to two tablespoons per day on average. And I guess the important thing with that is, is that if it is largely just replacing other dietary fat sources, it doesn't lead to any changes in weight. And then the other study that I referred to earlier, the olive oil study, we are prescribing the participants 60 mils of the different olive oils in that study per day. Yeah. Now, you've been instrumental with implementing the Mediterranean diet at Princess Alexandra Hospital. Can you tell us a bit about that? I don't know about instrumental, but I am trying to work on getting this further into usual care. So since I completed my PhD, I relocated back to Brisbane where I originally studied and I've been working as a research dietitian at the Princess Alexandra Hospital, as you mentioned, and that's broadly part of the Metro South Health Service. 
it typically takes a really long time for findings from controlled research studies to be translated into usual healthcare. And I was really interested to start looking at how a Mediterranean diet pattern could be better integrated by dietitians and other clinicians like doctors and nurses when managing people with chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease. So I received a grant to lead a project to do that in Metro South Health. And I should just say this isn't intended to be impacting diets that people receive in hospital. It's about the care that they receive once they're out of hospital. So far, I have found that the med diet is not routinely being recommended to these patients. And actually, a lot of the clinicians don't have an in-depth understanding of what a med diet is, and they're not fully aware of the evidence to support it. So clinicians are actually seeking more practical strategies and resources for how they could recommend this to their patients. Key next steps are really for me and my team to develop interventions and draw from existing resources and assist these clinicians to integrate this diet more into usual practice. I can say, though, that there is a specific service at the Princess Alexandra Hospital that we have that's for patients who have fatty liver disease. And the clinic dietitian is now actually routinely assessing the patients for their adherence to a Mediterranean diet score. And that score is being used to guide education for the patients on improving their diet to a more Mediterranean style. And that's something that I provided guidance to that dietitian on and how to do. And it was sort of, I guess, translating work I'd done in my PhD into that usual care setting. And we've also given education to the doctors and nurses in that clinic around a Mediterranean diet. And over time, this has led to them also recommending that diet to the patients. I'm really excited to keep working on this. It's definitely challenging, but something that needs to be done in order to get this from the research trials to routine practice. Dr. Hannah Mayer. That ends this episode of Olive Wellness Podcast. To learn more about the nutrition, health and wellness benefits of olives and olive products, please visit the Olive Wellness Institute website at olivewellnessinstitute.org. Until next time, I'm Sarah Gray. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.